All right, so we are going through Colossians, and uh, Brent started this uh, series last week, and he went through the introduction there. And uh, this week we come to a, a, a central passage in the book of Colossians. It is uh, Paul's uh, magnum opus, his, his doctrinal treatise on the person and work of Christ. Um, and so you, you notice if, if you're reading along, it's all about who Jesus is. And this is very important for Paul. Uh, for Paul, in, in, at least in this letter in the Colossians, he wants to get into our heads that Christ is Lord of all, and as verse 19 says, that he is in all things preeminent, that he is above all things, that he is Lord, that he is uh, supreme, that he is king of the universe, uh, that he is Lord. And uh, the question is, why does Paul stress uh, Christ's lordship and his supremacy and his kingship so much, particularly in this passage? And uh, the reason is because there was, there was some sort of false teaching that was circling around uh, this church, uh, so, something that the Colossians were hearing um, about Christ, and, and even more specifically about how they relate to God. As you get uh, further along into the book, uh, Paul will be um, uh, re, uh, you know, rebuking some of those false teachings. So in, in Colossians 2, Paul says, don't let anyone tell you to pray to angels, as if that will get you closer to God. You know, don't let anybody, anyone tell you what to eat or what not to eat, what to wear, what not to wear, because those things are the shadow, is what Paul says, and Christ is the substance. Um, to put it simply, uh, if you get all of Christian ethics and all of the morals of Christianity right, and yet you get Christ wrong, in Paul's mind, you have missed the entire boat of Christianity. Uh, to get Christ wrong for Paul, is to get the rest of Christianity wrong. And, and the reason is, uh, is very simple, but, but uh, so often we forget this. Uh, Christianity is not, first and foremost, a religion focused on good works. When, when the apostles went around preaching uh, Christianity in the book of Acts, the one thing that they preached was the resurrection, the lordship of Christ. Uh, Christianity is, first and foremost, focused on a person on Jesus Christ who's risen from the dead. And if you get the person wrong and you get the works right, you miss the entire boat. And this is what the Colossians were tempted to do, and, and this is what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to focus on what we're doing for Jesus instead of who Jesus is for us. And even out in, in, in the wider culture, you know, there are many people who appreciate Christ for his moral teachings, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love one another, uh, but they miss the claims that he made about himself. They think that Jesus is a good moral teacher who came to teach us how to be good moral people. <laughs> and, and of course, his teachings are important, but what is most important and what is foremost, at least in Paul's mind, is just who Jesus is. If you get the person right before you get the morals right, you have Christianity. Uh, but if you switch that, you're putting the cart before the horse. And you can think of it like this, Christ is like gas in a car. He's like gas in a car. It doesn't matter how much of a nice car you have. If, if your car has no gas, you ain't getting anywhere, you know? You could have a Corvette 67 or whatever the cool Corvette is, but if you can't afford gas, I mean, that does you no good. You can sit in it, you know, you could take pictures in it or something. I don't know, what, why, why would you do that? But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? It, it, you're not going anywhere unless you have the gas. I, I remember uh, it was a few years ago, the students, when I was the youth bathroom, they, they begged to go to Florida, for Fuge. And, uh, and I was like, fine. I, I folded. Uh, it's a 10-hour drive. So I remember I went online and I booked some vans. I booked two vans with this uh, company out in Searcy. And um, 
I never got a confirmation. I never got an email confirmation. I never got a call. And so two weeks out, I, I was like, you know, surely they have the vans. Surely they're on top of their game. I called them two weeks out, dial tone. Not, not, even, not, even a, uh, not even an answering machine. There was dial tone. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I, I, I finally, I, I find the, uh, the corporate head, headquarters. I find their, their number, and I call them. And they're not even able to get a hold of them. And finally, like two days later, she calls me. She goes, I'm so sorry, but the, the business closed like a month ago. We didn't, we didn't even know. And I'm like, what are you doing for your job? You know? <laughs> and so I said, so where are you going to get my vans? And she's like, I'm so sorry, we can't get your vans. And I'm like, I got to leave in two weeks to go to Florida with 35 kids. You know? Um, but but here, here's the principle. Uh, Christ is like the vans. You can have all of the, the moral aspirations that you want. You can have all of the good, uh, the good deeds that you want. But if you don't have a van to get to Florida, nothing is going to happen. Uh, Christ is the center of Christianity. Uh, he is the sole focus. Um, and the good works are accidental. They're important, but they're not the center of Christianity. For Paul, if you get Christ wrong, you get Christianity wrong. And that is, uh, for Paul, the whole point of this passage, the whole point of Christianity. And so what Paul's going to do in this passage is he's going to basically tell us who Jesus is. Jesus is not simply some sort of good dude who helps you on your path to God. right? He's not a hippie out in the desert teaching you um, how to love your neighbor. No, no. He is God who created all things for his glory. And so uh, we're going to be covering two points this morning. And the first point is that we're going to be, Christ, uh, Paul says that Christ is the creator of all things. And the second point is uh, that Christ is the recreator of all things. So Christ is the creator, and then he's the recreator. And, you know, I just have to warn you, uh, you know, they tell preachers, when you, when you go to, uh, to Bible college, they tell preachers to make sure to have enough illustrations so that you guys don't get bored. I, I tried my best, all right? I'm just going to say that. This is a necessarily theological passage and so it's going to be a little, a little uh, meaty, but I tried to put some illustrations there for, <laughs> for you guys. But you guys, are, you guys can pay attention, no problem, right? Yeah. Can I get an amen? Can anybody? Amen. All right, thank you. Somebody in the back's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Anyways, um, let's go ahead and jump into our first point. Christ is the creator. That's the first point that Paul wants to make here, that he is the creator of all. Let's go ahead and look at uh, verse 15 and 16 here. Paul says this, he is the image of, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Notice what Paul says, all things are created through him and for him. What what does Paul mean by that? Well, what he means to say is that Christ is the mediator of all creation. Christ is the mediator of of all creation. And usually when we hear that word mediator, we're, we're used to thinking, well, yes, Christ is the mediator of salvation. Right? Paul says in 1 Timothy that Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. And, and that's true. But notice what Paul says here, and it's in the context of creation that all things are mediated through Christ. All things are created through Christ. And what that means is for Paul, Christ is the, not simply the one mediator between God and man in salvation, but also in creation. All things are made through him and for him. Now the question is, what what does Paul mean by that? Well, Paul introduces two uh, important images, two important concepts uh, at the beginning of verse 15 to help illustrate this principle for us, that Christ, 
that all things are created through Christ. And you can see him here at the, at the beginning of verse 15. Paul says that, first of all, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And second of all, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. So he's the image of, of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. So let's just kind of walk through these, these two phrases here because they're very important. So let's go ahead and look at this first one. Christ is the image of the invisible God. What does, that, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word that Paul uses is icon. And we all know this word icon. Um, the word literally means a representation or a likeness. And the idea that Paul wants to, to get here is that Christ images, shows forth, represents the Father. That if you want to see God, who is necessarily invisible, then you have to look to Christ. And this is what Jesus himself says in the Gospels. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the point here is, is that God is invisible until you look to the Son. The Son makes God visible. He makes him known to us. And uh, you can think about iPhone apps, right? I like uh, to read Kindle. Um, but, but how do I know where Kindle is? Well, I, I, I see those little icon on my screen, right? I like to open Spotify and listen to, uh, to music. I have to find the little icon. What, what is the point of those icons? Well, they represent the larger program. Um, this is what Jesus does. Jesus represents and images the invisible God. He is the icon of the invisible God. But what's important here to notice is that the context is, you know, usually when we think of Christ as the icon, the image of God, we think of the incarnation. Jesus comes and makes God visible to us. But Paul is calling Christ Jesus the icon of God in the context of creation. And that's, that's an important detail. In creation, Paul says, God the Son images God the Father. Okay, and, you, and you say, well, what, what does that mean? Well, I just, I just want you to think here. Genesis 1 and 2 says that human beings were made in what? You, you can answer. The image and the likeness of God. And theologians across centuries of centuries have sat in their iron towers, and they've thought about what this could mean. What does it mean to be in the image of God? They said, well, people, you know, God is a community, and we're made in a community, you know, people are rational. They're not like animals. God is rational. Well, what does Paul say? Well, who's the image of God in, in Paul's mind? It is the Son. And so here, here's, here's, uh, here's what we take from this. We were created in the image of God means that we were created after the image of the Son. Christ mediates creation in the sense all of creation was made to be conformed into his, into his image, which is the image of God. Um, in other words, God didn't just create the world, uh, any, any world uh, he wanted to. You know, a lot of times uh, we like to ask these questions, you know, well, why did God create us with two arms? Couldn't we have four arms? Wouldn't that be great? You know, I could make my coffee and make toast at the same time. It'd be amazing. You know, couldn't I have eyes in the back of my head? Couldn't God make any world that he wanted to? And technically the answer is yes, but that's, that's an irrelevant question. What world did God make? He made a world in the image of his son. He made a world after the image of his son. And you can think of it like this. Christ is the blueprint. He is the building instructions of all of creation, of the entire cosmos. You know, whenever I get new things for my kids, particularly furniture, it is always me who puts them together. And it's always me who gets angry and tired and sweaty. Right? Because I hate putting things together. I'm awful at it. I don't like using the instructions. I hate it. I can't stand it. 
But what happens if I don't use the instructions? I end up building a mutant, you know, some sort of monster, you know. Like recently, a few months ago, we got this crib for our, our newest baby, and it was used. And I was like, you know, I can put this together, no problem. No, there was problems, you know. There was lots of problems. I need instructions. I need a blueprint. I need a design. I need logic. This is what Christ is. Christ is the logic of creation. He is the content and the meaning of creation. And specifically for humans, we were created to become conformed into the image of the Son. This is the goal. This is why you exist, to be like the Son. And we understand this you know, implicitly. You know, when, when we say he is the spitting image of his dad, what we mean is he looks like his dad, he acts like his dad, for better or for worse. You know, when my first daughter was born, there was, you know, nobody was guessing whether she was the daughter of my wife, obviously. Uh, but also, nobody was guessing whether she was my daughter. Because you could have just copied and pasted my face onto her face, and it, it would have just been fine. We looked exactly alike. We still look so uh, like one another. And as she's getting older, she's getting to be more and more like my character. You know, I apologize about it every day. Um, but she's stubborn. You know, she likes the Dave Matthews band. You know, um, just all sorts of things. You know, just, you know, she's just like me. Uh, this is your goal. This is why you were created. You were created in Christ's image to be like him. Even before the incarnation, you were made to be like the Son, God the Son, so that you could represent God the Father. And here's how uh, Athanasius, he was a fourth century uh, theologian. He wrote a book called On the Incarnation. And here, here's what he says about creation. This is fascinating to me. But he says that God made all things through his own word, our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, He's, he's already thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ even before the incarnation, even before his death and resurrection. He is the Lord because he's, we're created in his image. And he says he created human beings not simply like the irrational animals upon the earth, but making them according to his own image, giving them a share of the power of his own word, so that having, as it were, shadows of the word and being made rational, they might be able to abide in blessedness. Notice, notice what Athanasius says. He says, we were created how? To share in the power of the word. And he says, to be, as it were, a shadow of the word. Okay. What is a shadow? A shadow is a representation of the actual substance. We were created to be like the sun. And that's what uh, Paul means when he says that uh, he is the image of God in creation. He is the logic, the meaning of all of creation. But second, notice Paul says in verse 15 that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, if we're not careful, we can interpret this to mean that uh, maybe Jesus was the first created being. And, and indeed, that's how some people have interpreted this verse uh, through the centuries. But that's not at all what Paul means because he would be contradicting himself. Uh, in, in, at just the beginning of the verse. So what does Paul mean? Well, Paul uh, is, is, uh, is, is an Israelite. And the, the firstborn is a very important concept taken, taken from the Jewish scriptures. Uh, the Jewish firstborn males were given the family's estate. They were handed down uh, from the father to the son. And we see this in the Exodus story when God threatens to destroy all of the firstborn 
You say, why? Why, would he, why would he threaten that? Well, he is threatening, in essence, the legacy of the father and the entire family name. God is not simply just killing firstborn males. He's, he's destroying the entire family uh, legacy. And so when Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, what he's talking about is Jesus' own inheritance. What is Jesus' inheritance? Well, all things, right? And this is what Paul says in verse 17. Uh, uh, sorry, verse 16. All things were created through him and what? For him, okay? In other words, God the Father made all things through Christ, but in order to bequeath unto his Son. So that what? So that Jesus Christ might be Lord over all creation. So in other words, everything was made through the Son and the Son's image, but it was all made for him so that he might be the Lord, so that he might be the sovereign ruler. Okay? And, and you, might, you might ask, well, why did God create me? <laughs> well, the answer is that not because he needed you. You weren't strictly necessary. But he created you out of an overflowing love for his son. Through his son. So that you can be holy unto his son. The reason that you exist is to be like his son and a holy sacrifice unto his son. And you reach your goal in life when you begin to become like Christ. This is what Paul means to say. You reach your goal in life not when you get a certain paycheck, not when you get a, a certain size house, not when you get married and so on. You reach your goal in life when you become like Christ because that's why you were created. You were created through Christ and for Christ. All right, so that's what Paul wants to say. That's his first point, that Christ is the creator. Uh, we were created for him so that he might be Lord. But also Paul wants us to understand that Christ is the recreator. He's the recreator. Okay, now what do I mean by this? Well, we have to look at Paul's logic. Paul takes a couple steps in trying to uh, communicate this reality. And he starts in verse 18 with the reality of the church. And you might think that that is kind of a, a weird move to make uh, in, in Paul's mind, but it's, it's very logical in Paul's mind. So let's just try to get into Paul's mind and see what he's trying to say. But let's read verse 18, and let's just ask, what is the church? Let's do that. So verse 18 says this, and he is the head of the body, the church. Okay? What is the church? Well, so often when we think of church or when we mention church, what, what comes to mind is a building. When you say, I went to church today, what do you mean? Well, you, you mean, I went to this renovated theater on Main Street in Batesville, Arkansas called The Landers. I walked in, I sat in my beige chair. And I sang songs and I heard a that's my That's church. Okay? Um, so often when we think of church, we think almost exclusively in structural terms. This building, this structure, this thing that I walked into. And buildings are important, of course, but notice how Paul defines the church. The church is the body of Christ. Okay? Paul doesn't use the language of structure. What does he use? He uses the language of organism. He uses biological terms. So you could say this, Paul, for Paul, the church is not an organization, so much as it is an organism. The church is a biological reality in Paul's mind. Okay? 
Now, uh, very, very often when we hear, hear this phrase, the church is the body of Christ, what we, what we think, at least, is that's a great metaphor. Okay? The church is like Jesus. The church is like the body of Christ and that it cares for the poor and it does great things. But that's not at all what Paul means. Paul doesn't say that the church is like his body. Over and over again, when he references this, this concept, he says that the church is his body. Okay? And, and what that means is that for, for Paul, the church is a community of those who have been mysteriously united to Christ. Um, somehow, when we're saved, we participate in Christ's very body. And this isn't something seeable with our eyes, right? When we look around and we look at these people, right? We see a collection of individuals, some of whom we like, some of whom we don't, you know. But we see individuals. But for Paul, the church is the one body. The church is the community of those who have been mysteriously united to Christ. The, tri- uh, the church, as Augustine says, um, and this quote is on your, your bulletin, he says that the, ch- that the church is the whole Christ. And just, just read this, read this on, your, on your bulletin with me. This is a fascinating quote from Augustine. He says this, Let us rejoice then and give thanks that we have become not only Christians, but Christ himself. Do you understand and grasp, brethren, God's grace toward us? Marvel and rejoice. We have become Christ. For if he is the head, we are the members. He and we together are the whole man. The fullness of Christ then is the head and the members. What is Augustine saying? He, he, he conceives of the church as a true reality, a biological unity of us with the Savior. Okay? And Paul doesn't back down from this imagery. He, he goes even further in Ephesians. In, in Ephesians, he calls the church the bride of Christ. The church is married to Christ. Now, what's the whole point of marriage? The whole point of marriage is that two people now become one person. Two people now become one flesh. It's the two becoming one entity. You know, when Andrew and I first got married, our whole first year of marriage was struggle and fights and, and yelling. And why? Well, because it was two people trying to become one, right? It was two houses moved to one house. It was two beds moved to one bed. It was two bank accounts moved to one bank account. It was two showers moved to one shower. It was two tubes of toothpaste moved to one tube of toothpaste. That was, that's a mistake. We went back to the two tubes, <laughs> Right? That was one of our first fights. I just, I remember, I left the top off, and Andrew just, she pounced. It was, uh, she's otherwise very sweet, but that was, I was frightened. But, uh, but it's, it's two, I, uh, my wife's there, I love, I love you. Uh, <laughs> it's two people now becoming one. This is Paul's whole point. The church now is one biological organism. Okay, now, you might say that was a really large rabbit trail. No, it wasn't. For Paul, this is very central. Okay? Because if, if, if we reason back to our first point about creation, why were we created? We were created to share in the sun, to be made like the sun. Okay? If that's why we were created, what is the church? If we were created to share in the sun, what is the church? Well, what Paul's saying is that the church is the new creation sharing in the sun. And you can think of it this way. If, if creation happens by being in Christ, then salvation happens the same way. And what is sin but principally a turning away from communion 
with the Son. When Adam and Eve sinned, what they sinned and turned away from was being conformed into the image of the Son. And when they sinned and turned away, God came in Christ to be in communion with us again. The whole point of our redemption and our existence as the church now is to be the new humanity, the humanity that we were always meant to be, the humanity that is now created and conformed to the image of Christ. Okay, and, we, and we can see this clearly in verse 18. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, and, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. And the beginning of what? What is he the beginning of? The firstborn from the dead. Okay, now what's, what's Paul referencing there? He's referencing the resurrection. What is the resurrection? It is new life coming out of death. It is a new creation blossoming out of this old creation. Okay? And, and notice what Paul says. He is the firstborn from the dead. That's the same phrase that Paul uses just a couple of verses early, earlier. And what, what is he trying to say? When Christ rose from the dead, what God was doing was he was recreating a new world to give to his son. When creation fell into sin, God said no. And he came in Christ, and he recreated it, and he says, now you are Lord again. <laughs> you are Lord again. And so therefore, what is the church? The church is the new creation. The church is the new creation recreated through its union with Christ. And we are now realizing our reason for existence through becoming conformed into Christ's image more and more. That's what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 3. He says, we are being conformed from one degree of glory to another. We are the new creation. Okay. Now, <clears throat> that was a lot, I, I realize. Um, and, and so you might, you might be reading this text and saying, how do I, how do, how do I even apply this? What, what do I do? What do I take from this text? Um, I, I just want to suggest uh, two things. First of all, Paul wants us to understand that Christ is not primarily a good teacher. He's not primarily a religious leader. He's not someone who came to give us a good message of, ab about God. He is God. Um, and, and therefore, he is worthy of all of our worship. When we, sing, when we sang songs just this morning, we were singing to the risen Christ. We were worshiping the risen Christ. Uh, we were giving to him what is his due. Uh, Jesus is not a good man. He is God. And, you know, maybe you're investigating Christianity. Christians are not those primarily who follow a good teaching, uh, but we are those who worship a man who has claimed to be Lord. That's, that's the content of, of Christianity. So that's the first thing. But, but second, I, I just want you to, to think about this. I believe that Paul gives us a goal for the Christian life. Um, as the church, we have been redeemed and created for one purpose— for communion with a person. You reach your goal when you come into communion with this one person, the Son. And, you know, this is a huge concern for Paul. Paul says, don't be distracted by religious works, by good works, okay? Because for Paul, it, it doesn't matter how hard we work if we aren't in Christ, right? It is communion with a person that gives life. It is union with this person that gives life. And Paul's going to go on to say, don't, don't pay attention to the shadows. Pay attention to the substance. And, if, and if, as a Christian, if all you pay attention to is the things that you do for Christ, 
You're missing the entire point of Christianity. Christianity is about a relationship, a communion, a sharing of life between a person. When you are saved, you come and you receive a person who gives you all that is his, right? On the cross, what did he do? He took your sin and your death, but when you're saved, he gives you his life and his forgiveness, his righteousness. This is the great exchange that occurs, but it comes uh, through union with a person. And so what is the Christian life about? It's about cultivating this relationship. And what, what Paul will say is that good works will follow. And it's not that we don't be concerned with good works, but Jesus gives us the fruit so that we can do the good. Right? Jesus gives us the life so that we can walk in newness of life. And so the concern for Paul is be in union with a person. Focus on this person. He is the Lord. Commune with him. So that's, that's, his, uh, that's his concern. Let's pray. Father, Uh, we thank you that uh, we can reach our, our whole entire purpose for existing. We thank you that when we turn away from you in sin, that you chased after us. And we thank you that we, as Christ's church, can now glean the benefits of who he is, new life and forgiveness. Help us to focus on him, to look to him, to think of him, to follow him, and to rest assured that he will take care of the rest as long as we are with him, in communion with him. And uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.